Our Holy Gospel is from the 10th chapter of St. Luke. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a, a priest was going down from, the road, from that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. When he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put them on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever you spend. Now, which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I was in ninth grade, my Latin teacher um, asked me to stay after class, which isn't always a good thing, right? Uh, Latin, admittedly, was not my favorite subject, and maybe I wasn't putting the effort in that I should. Who knows? But after everybody had left, I stayed put. Have you ever had your eyes checked? She asked. Why? I responded. Well, because you're always squinting. Well, that's because I sit in the back of the class, she, I, I said. My name begins with, a, my last name begins with a W, and back in those days, always, you were sat in alphabetical order, so I always sat on the back row of the class, which sometimes was good, but maybe in this case wasn't always some good. I probably need some counseling because of that, as it turns out, always sitting in the back of the class. But nevertheless, another story, another sermon, another day. But I was always in the back of the class, so I was squinting, and I assumed that was normal. I'm moving you to the front row, she said. The next day, she had me seated as close to the chalkboard as I could get, and the first thing I noticed, and she did too, is that I still had to squint. I'm going to talk to your parents about an eye exam. Now, I don't know about today, but at least in those days, at least for me, this ninth grade boy, the last thing I wanted was glasses. But I knew she was right. To this day, I can remember sitting in that chair at the optometrist's office, and the only letter I could read was E. That was it. The exam was horrible. Sure enough, I needed glasses. And several days later, I had my first pair. I didn't like them. I didn't want them. I didn't want to wear them. But on the way home from the eye doctor, I was seeing things I had never seen before in my whole life. Blades of grass all there before me, right? I could actually read the road signs. I had never read road signs. I could see. Hallelujah. Well, today, uh, I want to dive into a short book of the Bible that has only one goal, as it turns out. 
and it's to clarify our vision as to who Jesus is and the role that Jesus can play in your life. It's the book of Colossians, and that's the study we're going to enjoy for these next few weeks, so I hope you'll enjoy it with me. But let's begin in prayer. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, may, be, may it be acceptable in your sight, as today you dare to reveal to us your light, your truth, your way, and your life. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I mentioned, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at one of the shortest books of the Bible, Colossians. It's, I don't know, maybe two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. It's only four chapters, 95 verses, a short little letter, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. We don't um, know if he was in prison in Ephesus or in Rome. It doesn't necessarily matter. He was in prison, and he wrote this letter to a group of people that he had never met in a church community that he himself did not start. Instead, it's written to a church in Colossae that, that was started by a friend of Paul's named Epaphras, who was actually from that city. Epaphras had recently visited Paul while he was in prison, and he had updated him on, on how well this small, young church was, was doing overall. He was sort of excited to be able to share that update with Paul, and Paul felt good about their progress, at, at the very least that the church was still surviving. But Epaphras also told Paul about the cultural pressures that were present in the day, and particularly in that community, in that city, that were tempting them to turn away from Jesus. So, Paul wrote the letter, this letter to the Colossians, to encourage them, to encourage the Colossians, to build them up, to, to remember what matters most. So, listen again to at least portions of what was already read earlier from Colossians, from the very first part of this letter, this beautiful language that Paul incorporates into this letter. He begins like this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, uh, to the saints and fellow brothers, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers, he says, in our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for each other. That's the gospel, of course, right? Faith in Christ Jesus, love for each other, a gospel that, yes, is bearing fruit and is growing throughout the world, but is also bearing fruit among you and within you from the first day that you heard it. And for this reason, Paul says, for this reason, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that you might bear fruit in every good work, that you might grow in knowledge of God, be strengthened with His power, that you might have great endurance and patience, and that you might give joyful thanks to God. Why? Because He has rescued us from the power of darkness. He has rescued you from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. That's beautiful language, right? Such encouraging words, words of hope and encouragement just when they needed it. I mean, he's Vince Lombardi at a, at a halftime. He's Winston Churchill during the Battle of Britain. He's Ronald Reagan staring at the Berlin Wall. He's, he's Susan B. Anthony at the back door of Independence Hall. It's exactly what this young church needed while their very existence was being threatened that very day. 
You see, it's easy for us, isn't it? It's easy for us to forget. We sort of live 2,000 years later. It's easy to worship together freely. Uh, it's easy to walk through our own lives without any pressure or, or, or folks who are discouraging us from being the Christians that call, God has called us to be. It's easy for us to forget that in those days especially, it was dangerous to be a follower of Jesus. Every city, every town, every village had local gods and goddesses, and so they thought worshiping these local gods was one way of, of keeping the city safe. You see, in that, in that ancient worldview, the gods were local inhabitants just as much as humans were inhabitants of the city. That, that's because every city or town had two kinds of inhabitants, ones that you see and ones that you don't see. And it was important to keep the ones that you could not see happy because if you didn't, bad things could happen. Earthquakes, famines, uh, floods, some great disease, whatever it was. And if that happened, the assumption was that, oh my goodness gracious, we, we weren't worshiping the gods properly. We weren't paying them our due. We weren't keeping their festivals. We weren't offering them the right, the right sacrifices. I know that sounds crazy, but that was the worldview. No matter who you were, rich or poor, uh, young or old, that was what they understood about the ways in which the gods inhabited their communities. So, when someone came into town and said that there is another Lord, that there's another God, and this one is the one true God, and, and, and Jesus, by the way, is the very image, the reflection of this one true God, and therefore, we're not going to worship the other gods. Well, that was bad news <laughs> to everybody, right? I mean, the community would notice that these Christians, they stopped showing up at festivals. They stopped offering sacrifices at the temples. So when anything bad happened, who was blamed? The Christians, absolutely. They were responsible. <coughs> Excuse me. Even the emperor Nero blamed the Christians for the great fire at Rome in 64 AD, and he persecuted them as a, as a result of it. Your Jesus, he can't be the one true God, they would yell. They would mock. They would make fun of. Look at this mess all around us. Paul knew how hard it was to be a follower of Jesus in those days. So, he wanted to encourage them. And through this letter, he did just that. He wanted them to remain steadfast, to be patient, to have endurance, to hold on to the hope which they had in the gospel, which they had in, in Jesus. But that wasn't easy. I mean, they were facing all kinds of pressure, challenges, threats from the community, but also even within the church. Some in this young church were giving in. Some were giving up. Some were questioning whether Jesus was divine or, I don't know, maybe he was just a good teacher. Maybe he was just a good role model. There were some people in the community teaching that there was there's really a hidden message to it all, a hidden meaning in, in life that only a few would be able to understand, you know, an inner circle. They, they had it. Nobody else did. They, they had this secret code. They had this secret message. They had this secret sauce, <laughs> a kind of thinking that breeds exclusivity in the church then and, oh, by the way, even now, I'm in, you're out. I know you don't. Paul could hear these threats, and he understood these challenges when Epaphras shared them all with him. He knew they were very real, and as it turns out, threatened the very existence of this early church, this young, small, tender church. Their existence was at stake. So, what did he do? Did he criticize them? 
Did he put on his manager's hat and tell them how to correct what's gone wrong step by step? Did he make fun of them on social media or complain about them behind their backs? No, none of that. The beauty of Colossians is that Paul understood this young church was tender, that their roots were, were, were not yet firmly in the ground, that they, they did not have yet this understanding, this clear understanding of a, of a firm foundation of Jesus, but they were still doing some things that were right, thanks be to God. And Paul wanted them to know it. We've heard about your faith, he said, and, and we've heard about your deep love for each other and for Jesus, the faith and love that comes from your hope in what is to come. We've heard about, about all of that, and every day when we think about you, we, we thank our God. You see, mom is that, I mean, Paul is that mom who's cheering her kid up after he failed his first test. She's a, he's a coach whose team just got blown out of the playoffs. I know you're worried about your failure, but I've heard about your success, Paul says, your, your love, your, your faith, your zeal, your hope. And because of all of that, Paul says, look at the fruit that you are bearing I know, I know, the gospel is bearing fruit. It's all around the world. It's, it's bearing fruit everywhere. But no, 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 I want you to look at the fruit that you are bearing, that in your life, in your community, in your work, in your family, the fruit that you are bearing even now, already look at the difference you're making because when you put your glasses on today, you're looking through the lens of love. You're looking through the lens of hope. You're looking through the lens of faith. You might not see it in yourself, but I see it in you, he says. Don't you love that encouragement? Now, some might have criticized this young church, saying that you just need to try harder. You need, just need to believe stronger. You just need to pray more. But Paul chose a different approach. One, to remind them of their identity in Christ, no matter who they were. Jew or Greek, slave or free, they were one in Christ. And number two, to celebrate the difference that they were making in this world. Look at the fruit you are bearing. It's incredible. Don't we all yearn for that kind of encouragement? Don't we all need, especially in this day and age of hypercriticism, don't we need that kind of affirmation? a church that's struggling sometimes, a church in some places that others, the world might say, is failing in some places, wouldn't it be a good step to take Paul as a model and offer that level of encouragement and affirmation rather than criticism and judgment? Some of you yourselves are facing some real deep challenges these days. Some are facing some very real and serious doubts about yourself, about your capabilities, about your faith. You're not seeing very clearly. You're squinting. Maybe, maybe you're even afraid to open your eyes at all for fear of what you might see. Some, some of you have never been encouraged in your faith. Faith was introduced to you as, as law, a series of do's and don'ts, and you've never really seen it any other way. Well, Paul wants you to hear these words, I thank God for you. Every time I think of you, you, 
my brother and my sister. And I haven't stopped praying for you, Paul says. I haven't stopped praying that God will fill you with wisdom and patience and endurance to face whatever challenge, whatever threat that that is around you, that you'll continue to bear fruit um, every day, just like you've been doing, and that your heart will be filled with joy, not momentary happiness, but real joy, a joy that fills you up, that changes your attitude, that makes you want to get up every morning and face the new day. Why? Because God has given you already, it is yours, an inheritance of grace, amazing grace, an an I once was lost and now I'm found kind of grace, an I once was blind but now I see kind of grace. That's what Paul is praying among these young Colossians. As some of you know, um, several of us, we were at a funeral in Raleigh this past week, this past Wednesday of 27-year-old Hunter Everhart, Diane's Diane's grandson, and as a result, therefore, uh, I uh, related to so many folks in this congregation. Hunter was diagnosed two and a half years ago with osteosarcoma. I think that's the correct word. Uh, Cancer in the bone of his shoulder. He had just finished college, training to be an officer with the Wildlife Commission, so ready to take that next step in life, his journey. It was a not to be. Wednesdays was a beautiful service. It truly was. A really important time of encouragement and hope. Outside of a concert or a Panthers football game, I've never seen more 27-year-olds gathered in one place. It was incredible, including 80 wildlife officers in their uniforms. A beautiful statement. They all looked so young. Some were crying. Others had a blank stare. Hugs were everywhere. You know what they needed, right? They needed encouragement. They needed hope. They needed to know that that all will be well. That life sometimes throws a curveball that you just don't know how to deal with. Friends, if you're facing a challenge today, an insecurity, a threat, a worry, a fear, an uncertainty, then we want to pray for you. That's not an empty statement, by the way, and I hope you don't hear it in that way. If you need some encouragement or affirmation or a reminder of God's great love for you, then we want to pray for you and offer you the encouragement that you need. It's the model that Paul established for the church in the first century, and it's a model that we must establish and maintain even now, that the first thing we do for each other is to pray for each other, to make ourselves available to be prayed for, but also in love to pray for our brother and sister. It's not always an easy journey that we're on, but it sure is made easier when we walk alongside our sisters and brothers in faith. Folks who, when we are down, they are eager to pick us up. Folks who, when we are discouraged, they are ready and willing to provide the encouragement we need. That's Paul's gift to the Colossians, and that's the church's gift to you and to this world. Thanks be to God. Amen.